Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 95 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Hot Pot Legend. And I'm joined here by my amiable co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, the man your favorite traders send fan mail to, a great friend to the Italian population in Jersey, JJ, how's it going? Good, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. And our guest today is making her second appearance on the podcast. Founder, president, and chief executive officer at Byron. I forgot to ask you you before the podcast. How do I? That's okay. Bonrian. Bonrian Capital. A. She's a sought-after speaker and media contributor, appearing frequently at industry events and on major major financial news outlets. Co-host of the Black Swan podcast in 2020, Miss Illinois International, aka the Queen of Alternatives. Yeah, I, I got I, I that is my favorite nickname anyone's ever given me, and I am milking it for all it's worth. And I'm actually like, how do I trademark this? <laughs> <laughs> is Shayna Sissel? Shayna. Yes. Shayna, thanks so much for coming back on. How's it going? It's going okay. Can't complain. You always have the best intros. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Even though I, uh, I think that's the first time I like had the pause. I f- totally forgot to ask you beforehand. No, it's totally fine. The last time I was on, you screwed up the ta- the city I'm from. So it's all good. <laughs> We're keeping with tradition. Hey, uh, I, I just try to keep going with it. You know, mistakes are going to happen. What are you going to do? Hey, um, Got to be real. Got to be real. I, uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on for a second time. Very interesting week we're having here in the market. Um, I had to go back and look the last, so the last time we had you, I was thinking it was pre COVID. It was actually, nope. yeah, it was just in the midst of it, July 2020. Yep. Um, and that's episode 39 for the listeners. If you guys want to go back and listen to it, a lot has yeah. changed. Yeah. I, my entire life has changed since then. Uh, and, uh, you guys kind of blew up. Like, so I'm like very honored you invited me back on. I mean, you got moose you got cuban <laughs> uh, i i'm like invited back for a second time like i feel very honored and and humbled by that because you guys are huge now i was like hey. one of the first couple of episodes you put out there we had a good time it was july 2020 like you said and uh my life could not be more different today than it was back then well uh, Looking forward to talking about it. Um, you're first off, you're way too gracious, way too kind. I appreciate that. Um, both I know for me and JJ do, but yeah, I mean, we keep you, you came on before we were like really anybody, so yeah, you exactly. know, we really appreciate that. So, you know, yeah, we're like, like Ray's like, you, you know, we got a CIO, we got, we got a CIO on our podcast, and like, we're just, you know, I'm just an eye gouger market maker and day traders, you know, you're like, oh, yeah. cool, you know, we were really happy about that, so. Well, like I said, I appreciate you having me back on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the world's changed a lot. I know you've gone through a lot of personal changes as well. So why don't you just update us on your uh, professional trajectory? Uh, sure. So last year has not been uh, great. Uh, just, I'm just gonna put it all out there. Um, yeah, I got laid off as CIO of Spotlight Asset Group in October of 2021. Um, nothing I did, um, nothing I did wrong. Uh, Spotlight had some operational issues. Uh, 
that really impacted the business. And so they basically had to let everybody go. Uh, Spotlight does still technically exist, uh, but in a much smaller uh, organization than it once was. It was like three advisors, an office manager, and not quite what we were uh, back when I was CIO. Um, And for those reasons, they had to kind of let me go. They let the CCO go, they let our CFO go, the traders, everybody, um, we all got let go. Um, and so after that, I uh, took a gig with a firm in Cleveland uh, for a short period of time, um, helping them out with like media work and um, kind of brand building. And uh, of course, you know, as you know, I do a lot of work in like the hedge fund, private equity, venture capital, private debt, private deal space. Uh, So I was working with them to help them kind of build out uh, their investment platform for that. Uh, But they were in Cleveland. I was going there once a month and um, I was the only employee they had that didn't live in Cleveland. So I think it just made it really hard for me. I did bond with the team. And in fact, I keep in touch with several of the folks there um, who I think are very talented and are going places. Um, and um, it just didn't work out for that reason. Uh, so in January of 2022, right after I spoke at a conference on their behalf, I got a phone call saying markets are tight, margins are tight. You're not in Cleveland and you're expensive. So I don't think this is going to work. And um, I was devastated because I loved the job and I love the people. But, you know, I'm like the queen of picking myself up and, mm-hmm. you know, brushing mm-hmm. myself off and finding some other way. Uh, so I did a consulting gig. I actually started doing the consulting gig right after uh, spotlight. So I, I, there's some overlap there uh, for a firm called Armada ETFs, where he helped them with distribution strategy, brand building, marketing, helped prepare the business development team, um, very involved in operation compliance in the launch of an ETF that they were doing. Um, it's a REIT ETF. The ticker symbol is HAUS. Uh, that was a really fun project to be involved in. Really cool group of people. Phil Bach is awesome and you should totally have him on your show because you would love him. Um, he's their CEO. Um, they're doing cool stuff in the REIT world, but I don't want to just be a REIT person. So, um, while there was an opportunity to join full time, it wasn't really something I was interested in. Ended up in March taking a job as director of investments, kind of also a CIO type role for a firm and uh, DC called Coparalis, um, really cool firm doing um, work primarily with um, a lot of veterans who are in the um, government contracting space. So they, they, typically, these are veterans who started their own business after they retired from the military. Um, their business is largely reliant on government contracts and building it to a certain point where they're um, wanting to sell the business. So they do um, they do pre-sale um, advising and planning, uh, exit planning, and very cool firm, uh, really enjoyed the work there. And then in June, you know, the market started to turn. They're not a particularly big firm. I was going to DC every other week for a week. So I was basically living half my time in DC, which was a lot. 
Um, and uh, they just didn't feel like it was a good fit. Uh, they didn't want the media and conference exposure that it was bringing to the table as much as they had originally thought. Um, to just the nature of the type of folks they work with. Um, they thought they wanted the the publicity and then kind of realized that maybe it's not great for the types of folks they deal with to ha- be so public. So it I, like, I, vet, like I, veterans is that uh, no, the government stuff. Oh, OK. Oh, not mm. the veterans as much as like because it's a lot of working on, you know, government contracts. Some of it is uh, security clearance, sure. you know, secret um, mm-hmm. clearance and things like that. Um, and these folks you know, kind of like to stay under the radar. So, um, so that happened. And then I kind of had my pity party for like a month where I was like, what the hell is going on with my life? I've never had anything like this ever happen to me before. I've always been able to hold a stable job with very limited exception. I have always left firms on my own terms for better opportunities and why am I now all of a sudden having such a difficult time? And part of that is just because I'm at a point in my career where I'm a senior executive, so I'm perceived to be expensive. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities for the types of roles that I'm qualified for are small, right? Like, it's not like they, they hire 10 analysts, but they only have one CIO. Exactly. Um, and so those opportunities are few and far between. And usually you find them through um, networking and, you know, we're, it's also like a time in the market where people aren't really thinking about bringing senior executives with uh, major payroll expense onto the, uh, onto the team, unless there's like a immediate need. So um, I spent most of the summer trying to find a new gig, interviewed a lot, had a lot of things that I thought would work out that didn't. And in August, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent because along all these lines, I also got divorced. Uh, And that was an expensive, anybody who has been divorced or knows people who get divorced, I don't care how much you plan, how much you save, divorces will ruin you financially, no matter what. They just do. Uh, So uh, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. So I had this LLC, Bonnery and Capital Management, that I was using to invoice for some of the consulting I was doing and also for speaking fees. And I thought, well, let's just lean into this because I, I got to figure out how to make money. So um, I put something out on uh, on LinkedIn and got immediately a bunch of people reached out, signed my first client within 48 hours of the post, uh, had three clients within that first week and was like, oh, okay, this is awesome. Um, and so it's kind of grown from there. Still trying to grow, you know, the first couple of contracts that I had signed with clients were client friendly, not Shana friendly. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was like, I need to pay my rent. So I made deals that weren't necessarily uh, good for me, but great for the client. Um, And um, so now I'm sort of trying to build out my business with a much more favorable and stable revenue model. Um, so if you, if you're, I'm just going to promote myself. I am hoping my goal by the end of the year is to sign at least three more clients. Um, uh, I, I work primarily right now with investment managers in the alternative space. So venture capital, hedge funds, crypto, things in that world, um, smaller firms who are trying to 
if you're a smaller firm in that private world, the only way you can get to that magic $100 million assets under management number is by being able to find people who don't have major hurdles to invest. And the best place to do that is either family office or the independent advisor network. But the independent advisor network uh, typically deals with a traditional retail investor. And so the private fund world is foreign to them and also complicated. So what I've been doing is helping these firms sort of figure out how they're going to create their advisor distribution strategy, help them with brand building. And I like to say, I'm not a third-party marketer. I'm not a marketer. I'm a technical expert that understands marketing and sales. So I help improve pitch books. I help create better stories for the business development team to be able to use understanding that the basis of the entire process is going to be educational and that they have to come at it from that perspective. And most of them don't. Um, And they kind of come in. Most people who start these funds have an institutional background, worked for a hedge fund, and they think and build their strategy to gather assets, thinking the way that works for institutions. And this Uh is not the same. So, um, so far I have, uh, three clients and I'm hoping to sign a fourth by the end of the month. Um, And um, they've been pretty happy with what I'm doing. I make strategic introductions where it makes sense. I don't guarantee leads. It's not what I do. What I do is if I help you and do things the right way, um, you're going to have better success. And then I can make some strategic introductions if I think it makes sense. I'm not shoving this down anybody's throat, but I do speak at a lot of conferences I do have a lot of connections in the advisor world. And so if I know that this is going to fill a specific need or uh, meets a specific challenge, I will make the introduction. Um, And it's worked out well so far. Um, And since then, I've also accepted a board position with a um, health tech startup um, and uh, an executive position with a firm doing something really cool. Uh, in supply chain logistics for third-party auto parts and um, industrial drivetrain, um, supply chain using the blockchain. Mm. Um, so really, really cool work. Um, so I'm going to be helping them kind of as their chief of investment banking, helping with the private deals, and more importantly, serving as sort of an expert in the blockchain space. Um, so it, it's it's a lot. And I have like five jobs, but I have a lot of freedom. The thing that kills me is it's like as it's entrepreneurial stress. And right now I don't have enough stable revenue uh, to like know month to month that I'm going to be okay and build something. So we're getting there. Yeah. You know, considering I just started in August and it's November, I think I'm doing okay. You're doing great. I'm trying. Well, um, this but is, it's, you know. This is it's great. It's certainly because... been a hard, it, it, it has not been the easiest journey. Like the summer was really, really hard for me because I had no direction. I was sh- shopping Instacart <laughs> to make extra money uh, so that I could pay for my kid to go to camp and, um, you know, buy him clothes for back to school and like all the stuff that I'm responsible for, for him. And, uh, 
I had been dating someone for about two years and I ended things with him because it was super complicated and I wanted something more and he couldn't give it to me. Um, and I was walking around like a broken hearted little puppy dog in addition to also having no job and no direction uh, and not knowing how I was going to pay my rent. So um, it's not like a, I don't recommend I don't recommend. Um, well, you know, but this this sort of thing happens to people, and and it's everybody thinks that you know people from, yeah. um, you know, I use I'm old, so I use the term white shoe background. You know, people who've worked, you know, institutions at the highest levels, they think that they have such an easy ride, but no, they do go through hard times, and it's great to see that you kind of you know took the bull by its horns and you you're doing things on your own, and I think. Um, you know, outsourcing the CIO role is brilliant uh, because it these firms can you know they can they can come in they don't have the they don't have the resources to have you on full time, mm -hmm. and this way they get the benefit of someone who's got um, you know years of experience and you know who's been proven under fire, not just somebody who just you know like you know some kid wet behind the ears who comes out of grad school right okay. it, you've got you you've been proven you've been under fire you know what it's like you know how to handle the stresses and you understand how the business works so i think you know i think people you know these guys and and ladies who run funds they should be you know leaping over each other to get to you i, I definitely think. have had conversations the, the problem is most of them come to me wanting me to be a third-party marketer and I, mm. I make it very clear like i'm not working for commissions like this space is not a space that you have to work. This is not yeah. a space where you're going to close a deal in a week or a month. It's not like a mutual yeah. fund. You can just put in a ticker. It's, it's complicated. There's education involved. There's also complexity to the paperwork. Um, and, um, and, and it's, it's a longer sale. So I'm not going to be your third party marketer, but I will train your business development team because that is something that I have a lot of experience with when I worked at Orion. That's what I did. Um, I, I, I mean, I was a portfolio manager running mm. um, SMAs uh, and I was running the TAMP and I was running the alts mm. model, uh, but I was also doing all the lunch and learns when, every time we were launching new product with business oh, development okay. to educate them. So it's uh, it's important to have like a technical expert, especially in a complex space. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a lot of firms reach out to me thinking like, oh, she'll market for us or, oh, she has access to advisors. Can she make introductions? And I'm like, dude, I don't do this stuff for free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, but the other thing I also bring to the table is like things like this. So my biggest two clients right now are a firm called uh, Third Wire Asset Management here in Chicago. They have this really cool platform for advisors where they do custom um, SMAs of um, hedge funds uh, that's aligned very similarly to how I build portfolios. Um, they just have more resources to do really good due diligence, but they customize it. They do liquidity matching and risk matching, and they have this great portal that advisors can use with their clients. And I also work with a firm called Vested, which you may or may not have heard of. They're kind of picking up a lot of traction, which is doing this really cool thing with startups where they're helping startup employees finance, um, to exercise their options. And then instead of it being a loan, what they do is they give them the money and in return, they get like 10% of the shares that they exercise and they put those shares into a fund. So they have access to like every major awesome startup uh, and the fund 
starts to feel a little bit like an index, but in venture capital, that's not a bad thing because there's so many things that kind of blow up. And this actually gives them access to deals where they're not competing with Sequoia and and trying to like compete. Like they actually can get access to uh, shares of companies that are in Sequoia's portfolio or in, you know, any of the big venture capital firms that people think are successful, which is really cool if you think about it. So they're helping out on two ends. And then the other cool thing they do is because a lot of folks come to them to exercise their options, um, there, a lot of those folks don't have financial advisors. So they help introduce the folks that come to them for financing uh, to financial advisors to help them going forward because they tend to be younger uh, folks uh, working for startups that are just kind of starting out. And so Mm -hmm. they help advisors, they help startup employees, and then they help folks get access to some of the best venture capital uh, pre-IPO stocks out there. So it, they're doing some cool stuff too. And I'm I'm sitting here promoting it because that's part of my value add, right? Mm-hmm. So I exactly. help them get on podcasts. And because I'm on TV, because I do a lot of interviews, because I have a, a, a major social media following on, you know, I have almost 30,000 followers on Instagram and I have almost 8,000 followers on Twitter and like 7,000 followers on LinkedIn and growing. Um, I have a massive audience that, and I post a lot. And so I get their information out there. But more importantly, I can also make connections. Like I've gotten my clients on podcasts to tell their stories um, because I think I can add value in a lot of different ways. And it's worked out really well. And so I'm basically leveraging all of the things that I've done over the years to kind of do this. And it's been fun. It's been stressful. Um, As I'm sure you can imagine, um, you guys kind of have done those transitions from like corporate world uh to you know (laughs) doing your own thing and uh in the beginning it's super stressful because you don't have like that stable uh steady income and and that's that's the hardest part being a single mom uh so like yeah it's not awesome but it's it's certainly been cool and you know a lot of people have asked like i haven't been on tv as much and that has actually been a um a decision I made um, to not actively go out and look for media um, until I had this business more stable because I just didn't think it was a good luck to start something. And then if it wasn't successful, I'm changing positions and titles again. And like, I wanted to make it a point. So I only do TV media appearances if they ask me. And so I'm not going out. I don't have a PR person. Not that I've had a PR for a person for a long time. I was booking myself on CNBC for like a year. Um, <laughs> and successfully too, I was on CNBC every week. Um, but um, I've made a choice to kind of only accept requests that come in directly to me and not like go out and ask the producers if they have spots. Um, and it's just because I'm trying to build something and I want to concentrate on that. And I want to make sure that when I do go back full force into doing TV, that like I have this really strong business behind me and uh, and and I can feel really confident that like I'm going to be CEO, president and founder of Bonnery and Capital Management for a long, long time. And it's not just something that I'm doing in the interim. Um, but I also have these other things that I'm doing, which are also permanent. And so if I can get this whole thing worked out right, like it actually could be the best thing that ever happened to me, even though it sucked. Don't get just sucked. <laughs> I, I, I know what that says. When I when I lost my job on the institutional desk. Uh, I mean, I ended up working for a stock promoter who looked like Colonel Sanders. So like, 
you know, I, I, I know how to eat humble pie. You know, it was horrible, you know. And, uh, you know, you had to chase the guy around on payday. Otherwise, your check would bounce. Right. You had, to, yep. you know, so, I, you know, I, I know what it's like. It's uh, it's it's not it's not fun. And, yeah. Uh, one of my uh, first off, I hate I have one client who I invoice and they pay me like an hour later. Oh, I have wow. another client who I invoice and like have to send them four follow up emails. So like, exactly. Hey, it's like, can you pay hey. the invoice? And then like. Yeah. Right now I'm dealing with somebody who's like, yes, let's do the deal. I want to be a client. So I sent him the contract and it's yeah. been weeks and I keep asking him. And he's like, no, definitely. I got to get it. And then I finally, like the other day I, I emailed him. I'm like, I don't want to completely continue to pester you. This is why I suck at sales because like I actually do get like, don't want to be a pest. Um, and I was like, I don't want to keep bothering you and pestering you, but like, are we going to work together or not? And he's like, no, definitely. I'm just in the middle of a deal. I'm like, could you, if, if, if your counsel said it was fine and I assume yeah. they did because every counsel that's looked at my contract has said, it's fine. Can you just sign it? That would be great. <laughs> use the, the revenue. Um, but I, I also don't want to be a pest. Like I'm just starting up and I don't want to, and I, and so at the same time, like I don't have the liberty of being like, okay, whatever, whenever you get to it, like I'm, yeah. I'm well, at maybe... the point where I'm like, please, pretty please. Christmas. Maybe is we'll start working on the takeaway clothes. Yeah, there you go. You know, I don't know. You know, maybe this is not for you. Maybe, you know, you need somebody who's a little bit more affordable. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. You can't, you know, we'll try We'll try working on some of the tickets. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, we got to do some reverse psychology. I got to start. I got to hey, start. Listen, I, My brother I is like a master salesman. I ran a boiler anything. room. I ran a boiler room after 9-11, so oh, yeah. it was yeah. the only job I could get because my boss got arrested for trading for the mob. So <laughs> I was like, I was persona non grata. Anyway, the only people who wanted to give me a job were criminals, right? And I couldn't yeah. get a job anywhere, so I ended up working for all sorts of just, you know, specimens. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, you know. And uh, well, you great. and I have to, you and I have to talk then because yeah. I need to work on my closing skills. Like I was, oh, I was saying, my brother can literally sell anything. Uh, he, he actually worked for a long time, very successfully as a canvassing manager for um, Renewal by Anderson. He still works for Renewal, just not in that role. Um, and like his job was to literally canvas the neighborhoods where they were doing installs and just knock wow. on doors. And he was really good at it. Yeah. So. I feel like I need to, when I go home for the holidays, I need to sit down with my brother and be like, dude, <laughs> sales 101, can you help me out? We're going to have to get you start watching Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross over and over and over again. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, yeah. Uh, oh, I could probably watch you... Boiler Room again. That would uh, probably help. But like, I don't know. I just, I always, sales for me is strange. Like, it is. The, the guy that I'm dating is in business development. Actually, I, dating is a strong word. The guy that I'm talking to um, is in business <laughs> development and he is a master schmoozer. I'm like, can I come with you to an event and just like, you know, observe oh yeah we, we observe, a, you, observe you in the wild yeah. we had an institutional salesman that i would just go up to his office and listen to him pitch yeah you know i I just sit there and i'd listen to him pitch for hours how he closed people you know i learned a lot it was pretty cool yeah that's a very <laughs> special skill and not everyone can do it because not only do you have to be really good at closing you have to like be okay with rejection oh yeah totally. like those of us who have like you know rejection issues from like childhood <laughs> but like 
Like we struggle, man. Like oh, that's yeah. not what we can do. Like we take yeah. rejection personally, even if there's nothing personal and no, like there's no connection there. Like you really have to be okay with rejection because you're going to be rejected a ton and you have to harass people and you have to be okay with that. And yep. I'm not, I've never been comfortable with either. Uh, so <laughs> that's why I always like, when I talk to these people, they're like, so can you do a third party market? I'm not a third party marketer. I'm not going to guarantee you leads because if you put that kind of pressure on me, I'm totally going to like, like be overwhelmed by it. It's going to freak me out. If I, I don't have the pressure to get you leads, I, I'll probably much, be much more successful getting you leads. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 sus- I suspect men are better at handling rejection um, <laughs> than women, you know, like just the nature True. of the game. I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm naturally good with rejection, but I mean, I wasn't gonna get any dates, you know, if you don't yeah. ask. You know? yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think women though, we have, uh, we have other secret powers that make us successful in sales. Absolutely. We know how to like, you know, every guy who has a daughter knows that there's like a certain age is usually like two or three where their little girl figures out if she bats her eyelashes and makes, you know, pouts a little that daddy will completely fold. Like mm-hmm. you grow up and you realize that you have that kind of impact on men and you use that to your advantage. And nobody wants to say that out loud, but I will say that out loud. Like <laughs> women have a natural advantage in that extent that like we have certain like uh, body language we can use to get our way because we're playing to like that male emotion that especially men who have daughters always like are complete suckers for. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I still use it with my dad. It still works like a charm. Yeah, you know he's it, almost eighty, and I'm in my mid forties, and I can still bat my eyes and say "daddy," and he'll be like, "Okay." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the feminine charm. Yeah, it's um, the psychology behind all. It. I, I find psych just very fascinating. Um, so you know, Shannon, I just i I totally love your transparency. Um, you know, the just these these type of conversations, the the openness um, is just very rare these days and i just because i know a lot of people look up to you you know and like you sharing um your struggles not only professionally personally i think like i mean i resonated i resonate with it like a ton even like just on the personal front like going through those type of challenges um being out on your own like Mm -hmm. is this going to work i mean there's a lot of risk in that right like there's there's no there's no safety net um, and that's very stressful, but I think, and I could be biased here, right? Maybe thinking, um, but I, th- there's a strength in that though, right? Like it takes a certain type of individual to take that type of risk. Cause I think most people are definitely risk adverse, right? Like people don't, people, a lot of people won't even dream of doing that. I, I would not have done this unless I was like, my son is a lot of the reason I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm not one, like, I'm like the most reluctant entrepreneur on the face of the earth. Um, uh, and I come from a family like that. Like my dad was a police officer and, um, he took the lieutenant's exam once a year one time, like the, anybody who knows anybody in the civil service, the way it works is every time you want to move up a rank, you got to take an exam and then there's a list and then, you know, they only take certain people on the list. So you want to be top of the list. So, um, my dad, you know, he took the sergeant exam, passed, became a sergeant, and then he took the lieutenant's exam. My mom really wanted him to be a captain. Um, so then he eventually took the lieutenant's exam and he finished first. He got the highest score and he was at the top of the list. And then that year they didn't promote anybody because it was, a, it was sometime in, I want to say it was sometime in the late 80s. 
early 90s and like the economy wasn't great and they cut funding. And so they decided that they weren't going to have a class that year for lieutenants. And so the following year, he would have had to take the exam again. And he just didn't want to because he was like, I don't know if I can get first of the class again. I don't want to go through that. And so he retired a sergeant when he probably could have retired a captain. And uh, I have an uncle, my my dad's brother, who um, who was in the military and like during Vietnam, he was in the Air Force and his job was actually doing coding and sophomore development, data science and using computers at the time. Wow. So he developed a, a really um, important skill set that ended up being really in demand. And um, he was he had a great job. He made great money uh, and he was offered several promotions at his company over the years and he turned them all down because he didn't want the risk of being in charge of people and having you know greater responsibility he just was very comfortable he was making very good money he didn't have any kids so like for him he was like no i'm good um and i'm just not like that but i also have some of that in me like that inherent mm-hmm. like scared of failure scared you know being comfortable and it's probably why i've dealt with more failure than say my dad or my uncle ever did because they were comfortable and they got in positions where like you know um they weren't taking a ton of risk and so um i've had a lot more failure in my life and dealt with a lot of stuff um but i had to do it because my son is my entire world so like starting bonrian was like i gotta keep my house because Uh He loves this place. I love this place. And, you know, I don't want to disappoint him. Um, and then, you know, signing my uh, third client was I promised him I would take him to Disney World in March. And I am not letting him down. Like, I need to find a way to get more revenue so I can afford to take him to Disney. And now it's like I need to sign a client or two by you know, the end of this month, beginning of next month. So like he has a good Christmas. Um, So everything I've done and everything that has driven me has been really about like being a really good mom to my son and never letting him down. And so that's what drives me. And that's, if I wasn't a single mom and my, and so invested and giving my son the best that I can and wanting him to have you know, good experiences and wanting to make sure that I fulfill my promises to him, I probably would have like, I don't know what I would have done over the summer because I was not in a good place mentally uh, at all. Uh, And so if I didn't have him um, to kind of keep me grounded and feel like I was needed, I don't know what I would have done. I I definitely was not in a good place mentally. And, and I, 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 I could totally have seen in a different scenario without that, that drive and that, Mm -hmm grounding uh that things could have gone a very different place so Benrian is a result of my desire to um be the best mom i can be nothing else absolutely and i, I I'm, I'm a single father i can totally re- relate to that the, the the groundingness of it and it's just, it's just a different type of um love you know what i mean like one has for a child you know i, I know they always said that oh you don't understand until you have one but it's it's definitely true you know it's it's uh it's incredible yeah it totally is. I have a friend, Jamie, um, another one you should have on the show, Jamie Hopkins. He just uh, wrote a book um, called Finding Your Freedom, Financial Planning to, uh, to Improve Your Life or something to that extent. He's taking pre-orders right now. Let's make him a bestseller, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to Amazon and find him. Um, 
but he he is kind of you know the same idea he he works harder than anyone i've ever met in my life he is always on the road but he does it because he loves his kids and his family and his wife and he wants to be able to support them and make them proud and it's it, it's it's a delicate balance right because it's like you want to be successful you want to support your family but then like how much of doing that keeps you away from them and how much are you missing and and so everybody knows that that's a struggle anybody who has kids understands that struggle of like trying to balance like your desire to make them proud and to give them everything you want to give them with also having like time with them quality of life and like you know taking care of yourself I for some reason have managed to balance that uh through the years of like taking care of myself maybe I'm just self-absorbed and selfish but um, I make time for myself. Um, as you should. And, as you should. and I think that makes me a better mom. And my, my, my son's so funny. You know, you mentioned I was Mrs. Illinois 2020 and I haven't really competed in pageants since then. I did one over the summer. It was a smaller one and it was because I had won my entry fee and I, at the time I really needed it. I actually almost didn't do it because it was the week after I got laid off. And so I was like mentally in a bad place. My friend's like, no, go. You need that distraction. You need to get my friend uh, Constantine came down. Did, he's a celebrity stylist. He's like, I'll do your hair and makeup. We'll have a great time. It'll be a great distraction. So it actually was. And it was the best decision I made was to go and do that, even though it really wasn't that big a deal. But my son every day will say to me, like, first off, he notices my nails. Uh, last night I was giving him a bath and he's like, oh my God, your nails are amazing. And he's like kissing my hand. I'm like, you're the cutest thing ever. Um, but he notices those things. And then he asks me all the time when I'm going to do another pageant. He's like, I want to see you on stage again. And so it made me realize that like, it's awesome. Taking care of myself and having things for myself is something that's also good for my kids to see. Absolutely. And, uh, and so, but it is hard. Anybody who has kids understands like the delicate balance. If you are a career oriented person who has kids, like there's a balance between those two things and, and it's a hard one. It's so. Super- I told Jamie, I said, I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to be tr- transparent. Um, I'm going to do this podcast and I'll mention your book. And maybe that will give you two extra days at home with your kids. <laughs> Jamie Jamie Hopkins, correct? Jamie Hopkins. Yeah, we'll All right, there we go. Go go get his book. I wrote it down. So I got Jamie Hopkins here and Phil Bach. Yeah, Phil is the CEO of Armada. Um, Phil's awesome. He, okay. um, you know, he had his own ETF company, which he sold. And then he was kind of doing an angel investor thing. He's like a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he's been super helpful to me. He helped me get that Armada gig um, when I really needed it. Um, so I am all about uh, recognizing the people who have helped me. Mm-hmm. So like Phil and Jamie and my friend, Nancy Davis, who you may or may not know, another one you need to have on the podcast. You guys would love Nancy. Um, she uh, is the CIO and founder of a firm called Quadratic Capital, and she has an ETF called Eyeball. Um, these are all people that during my lowest moments were my lifelines. And so that's very cool. I like to do everything I can to let them know how much I appreciate them, how much I thank them. Tyrone Ross, who I know you've had on the show, Tyrone is one of the greatest human beings on earth. And when I was at the lowest of the lows, he would always text me and be like, you okay? What can I do? How can I help? Um, he's just a good person. Um, my friend Shauna Ohm, uh, who runs a marketing, um, agency, same thing. 
Um, and she's had her own struggles and I try to be there for her because she didn't judge me at my lowest and I'm not going to judge her at hers. Um, you know, you find out when you go through these tough times who your friends are yeah. and, mm. and, and immense amounts of gratitude to those people. So when you finally start to pick yourself up, you want to pay that forward. That's so important to me. I don't want these people to ever think that I didn't appreciate uh, what they did. And then I want to make sure that when I'm able to, that I can pay it forward for them because they're awesome people who stood by me at a time where like I could have been a liability to them for all they, for all they knew. Absolutely. They didn't care. That's like, when you have those people in your life, like, hold on to them and remind them that they're awesome. Yeah. It's rare. It's, it's rare. And and you guys have been super supportive. I mean, inviting me back on here when I'm just trying to like launch my firm and, you know, you've gotten some huge names on this podcast and I'm sort of like struggling right now. And well, you guys were uh, like, no, come on. Yeah. We want to help you out. You know, yeah. that, you did the that, same for us. You did the same yeah. for us. Exactly. That's and you know, such and- a, awesome thing in this business is to be able it to is. help each other. Um, and that's why I love what I do. I love what we do because it, it's actually a great community. It is. I remember like when I started, you know, it was, I started in 93 in the business and, you know, it's just, I remember one of the, the older guys that said, you know, every day we'll cut each other's eyes out, out for an eighth, but when your girlfriend kicks you out of the house, you got a place to stay. Exactly. Know? That's the yeah. way the business is. You know, My friend and, Victoria, I remember when I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. She's like, I got two extra bedrooms. You and Gabe can come live with me. That's so uh, cool. you know, no questions asked. And I was like, that's very generous, but you live so far away from his school. I don't know how I'd make that work. But at the, that's how I was thinking. But at the same time, like the fact that she would offer that is like amazing and right. uh, incredible. And But it's so important that, you don't just take advantage of those relationships at your lowest because you need them. Like you really, if you are a good friend and you appreciate those people, when you finally get back to the top of the mountain, you, you bring them with you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to just jump in. Cause we've got the, when, when the room heard that you, uh, you're going to be on, they had, the questions, questions, you know, because they, they want to hear from, you know, the people who actually, you know, I used to call them the masters of the universe in the old days. What, what is your, what's your outlook and, and this, these crazy ranges and lack of liquidity in these things? What, what are you kind of thinking going into the end of the year? So it's really interesting because I think there's some stat out there. Strategus does some great work um, in like, political influence on the markets and there's some crazy stat out there that since like 1929 there's never the s&p 500 has never been negative in the 12 months following a midterm wow ever um and like the average return over the period is like 12 percent, which i'd take a 12 percent gain right now mm-hmm. um so I think we have to keep that in mind. Um, I think we also have to keep in mind the geopolitical situation. Like where is the stress in the system and how long does it last? Because there's there's certain aspects where you can be ahead of it, right? Like, yeah. you know that the market turns before the economy does. Like if, if, mm-hmm. if you believe we're in a recession, and I would argue we're not, 
Uh, but there's plenty of debate that people want to have about that. Um, if you believe that uh, we're in a recession, the market turns about six months prior to when the recession ends. As a matter of fact, if in the financial crisis, you got your biggest gains between December and June, the, mm-hmm. that six month period. And I don't think the recession officially ended to like June of that year. Um, so you got all your returns in the six months prior. So um, it's really important to be ahead of it. But then there are also things out there that are critical in the macro environment that it doesn't matter how economies are doing if there's stress in the system in the, these areas like zero COVID in China and um, the Ukraine war, that's going to affect energy prices no matter what. So energy to me um, is an area that I'm spending a lot of time. I also have been spending a lot of time on like defense stocks. Um, We haven't been as a country investing as much in defense as uh, we have in the past. And um, my friend who works in that business always says like, no one wants to spend on defense until they realize what happens if you don't spend on defense. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's really important to have that money spent before you need it. Exactly. You do it when you need it. Uh, yeah. So you got to be ahead of the game. Um, and a lot of people also don't realize that a lot of military spending is the reason we have things like GPS and the internet and yeah. all of those things. So, um, you know, you want to look at that. And one of the things that I realized is that a lot of government money, especially in defense, is going into blockchain technology. So we can have a huge argument about how crypto has imploded. But I would argue that reminds me a lot of tech in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, you, There was a lot of carnage and a lot of lot of a lot of casualties right you know pets.com that's like the poster (laughs) child but there was a lot more than pets.com like there was serious casualties and of like the thousands of dot-com companies that launched like five survived um but there it didn't mean that like tech was dead it just meant like the speculation was dead and the the fomo of like anything and everything will work which some of us were warning from the beginning, like, folks, this is not how it works. And it was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're old fogey. Like crypto is the next (laughs) big thing, Bitcoin, this, and like, well, no, that's not really how it works. Like speculation works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's bad. It implodes. And when there's a lot of speculation in the system and everybody's chasing the returns, it allows for a lot of bad actors. And that's what happens. That's why you have the FTXs and all of those things is because, when everybody wants to get a piece of it, they'll yep. invest in anything. They don't do any due diligence and it exactly. allows the bad actors to succeed. Exactly. So this reminds me a lot of that. Um, I actually think the future for blockchain technology is huge. And a lot of defense and government agencies are spending money on blockchain. Hmm. Um, I There's some big government um, contracting conferences out there. And most of the booths are AI and blockchain. So... Yeah. Um, that's a place I'm spending time. I want to look at people who are using the technology. It's not about Bitcoin. Ethereum is different because Ethereum is blockchain super flexible. And like half the crypto that's out there, like Solana and um, um, Cardona and all that stuff, that's like built off Ethereum. So like Ethereum is really different in my opinion. It's getting baby with the bathwater kind of thing. 
but like that blockchain is the foundation for like so many other blockchains yeah. um and so many other applications like smart contracts and, and and all that kind of stuff comes off of the ethereum blockchain so um now you got to look at the technology and the adoptability and like what people are thinking about um as i mentioned there's a company that i'm working at a startup we're doing some fundraising right now um to kind of get our seed round done um where we're looking to apply blockchain technology to improve supply chain logistics and distribution, which is a direct result of China's uh, COVID zero policy and yeah. the rest of the world realizing you can't be too reliant on having your entire supply chain affected by a country that is run the way China is run and will shut you all down. And that's why I won't touch while I like semis right now, like, and I can make a case for semiconductors long-term because they are so much a part of a lot of the disruptive technology that's happening. The fact of the matter is, that as long as China keeps a zero COVID policy, there's going to be massive supply chain disruption for those companies that they cannot control. So I don't want that. And that isn't going to change anytime soon. So I can't use the whole economic leading indicators kind of thing. You want to be in certain types of stocks. So I can make a bull case for mm -hmm. defense and energy, but there's a massive headwind and a, a bear case to be made for some of the tech stocks, which fundamentally are good companies doing things that are going to be in demand. But until China takes adopts a different policy, which they're saying 2024 at the earliest, they're going to have massive problems and they're going to miss their earnings. And it's going to be hard for them to give outlooks uh, at all on, on what's going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months. So I'm staying away from them. I'm staying away from some of the more speculative um, companies like Zoom and Peloton that um, it took advantage of a situation that was temporary and probably will not continue. Adoption has happened. Their ability to continue to take market share is slowing. Um which is why I think Peloton just launched their whole rent of Peloton bike. Like I'm actually considering yeah. that because I would never spend the money to buy a Peloton bike. <laughs> but their rental program is actually only like $100 yeah. a month and you get yep. the bike. Yeah. And so maybe I'll try it out. Like that's something. Yeah. But I can't imagine the margins on that are great. No. At um, these companies too, I mean, if you look at Peloton, they have like an S8 that's big enough to choke a dinosaur. Right. I mean, there's so much employee compensation and, you know, everyone's a consultant and they get free paper, right? Free stock. And it's just, you know, just keeps diluting the float over and over. And Palantir mm -hmm. is another one where, you know, it's like they're passing out S8 paper to anyone who holds out their tongue, you know? It's, yeah. It's... <laughs> And everybody yeah. was willing to take it before was because yeah. it was just going up and they're like, oh, yeah. I can become a millionaire easy. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. pay me. But now yeah. it's like different. And yeah. there's a lot of challenges, a lot of them overstaffed thinking like yeah. the demand was Very going true. to continue at the rate that it was, which was like completely unrealistic. But the market got excited and they got caught up in like the mm -hmm. hype themselves. Like AMC is another great example of that. Although AMC was a smart in that it took advantage of that market to, you know, get better financing, you know, yeah. improve some of their capital structure. Mm -hmm. It's still business still has issues. GameStop's another company that was able to do that. Um, I think AMC has a better chance of survival um, because they were able to do that. And because the disruption to their core market was temporary GameStop, it's a different story. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to piss off a bunch of people. By saying that. <laughs> it's okay. um, but, you know, that's like, yeah. um, but it, it's just one of those things. Nobody wanted to hear 
that I liked the blockchain, but I thought all the speculation with crypto was insane. Uh, I got a lot of trolls, as you know, because that that None crypto world are. is is, is its no, own little thing. I'm glad. I'm really happy to hear you uh, say that because I mean, these have been some of my personal opinions um, for a while now. Like with blockchain and the supply chain, I, I from the first time I heard that, I mean years ago like 2017 18 i was like man this just makes too much sense mm-hmm. um and i think blockchain for multiple applications because like you said if i like just going over like it's just skipping over like coins just as like a technology mm-hmm. even um you know i was looking i was looking through your twitter you know as, as you know getting ready for this podcast and um you know you did like a mail-in ballot mm-hmm. right i've heard arguments for doing voting on the blockchain which yeah. I, think, I think makes uh, all the sense in the world. I mean, why are we still mailing in ballots? It's, uh, I don't know, it's ridiculous. No, I agree. I, I, I'm still ticked off about that. Yeah, yeah. My ballot <laughs> apparently never existed. Um, but I know I didn't imagine that. I know I didn't imagine filling it out and dropping it off at like an official polling spot. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not that this is the first year ever that I actually, instead of putting it in the mail, I put it in an official ballot drop box. And this is the first year ever in the history of me doing this, which is 10 plus years because I travel so much, um, that my ballot like was lost. But even more importantly, they claim they never sent me one to begin with. So like, I don't even have like the ability to go to like the election officials and be like, hey, what happened to my ballot? I think it was lost because in their minds, it never existed to begin with, which just adds all sorts of fun to this story. Um, but yeah, your point is a good one. Like blockchain, I one of the reasons I got involved with this startup is because um, my dad for like 12 years used to run the garage at the Worcester police department. Um, And so what that meant was he was responsible for all fleet maintenance, ordering parts. And I actually was very exposed to like third party auto part manufacturing and ordering and um, inventory at that time because he would pick me up at school, but he didn't actually get off of work till five. So he'd pick me up at three and I would literally sit in the office with him for like two hours. And I'd go through the books like this is like 90s. So like we had computers, but you remember what computers in the 90s were like. Uh It's not like (laughs) they were clunky. You weren't ordering stuff. This is pre Amazon people. Um, (laughs) So I had like catalogs and, you know, I'd help him go through the snap on catalog. We'd be inventorying like what parts don't we have. And he was ordering not just for like vehicles, but like four wheelers and motorcycles Uh and skidoos and boats and fire trucks because he was responsible for like fleet maintenance for all a first response. Yep. So like ambulances, you know, EMTs, fire, whatever. And, um, and so when I had this opportunity, I remember when they first talked to me, I'm like, why are you talking to me? Like, I, it's like, I'm not, I'm not an investment banker, but I, d- I have a lot of experience evaluating private deals and doing due diligence on individual companies to make investments. And so, you know, and I also have a ton of experience in blockchain. So when they were telling me what they wanted to do with blockchain to improve supply chain management in that market, at a time where like, by the way, third-party auto manufacturing and industrial drivetrain does really, really well in, in, in recessions because oh, nobody buys cars, like exactly. everybody's repairing. It was the like, exactly. best time in the world to be doing this. Yep. And because we know China is not going to have anything but zero COVID policy till at least 2024, all these mm-hmm. companies are rethinking how they manage their supply chain and their inventory. It's like the best timing ever. To me, yeah. this is a no-brainer. And... um. 
I love what they're doing, but using the blockchain to control that, but it also helps control like inventory management, can confirm authenticity, everything's oh, on there if yeah. there's an issue. Like, yeah. you know, if you buy a third party auto part today and you think it's BMW and you pay for it and then you find out it's not, not like, yeah. there's no way for you to go back to yep. who you bought it from and suggest that they knew they were selling you. Exactly. So like using the blockchain actually re removes that problem completely. That's really cool. Um, and smart contracts for payment. And it's just, it makes way too much sense. And, but that's my point. Like, yeah, everybody who thinks blockchain is dead because crypto imploded, like, isn't paying attention. Right. Right. Yeah, they're I, two separate things. I mean, the, well, they're not two separate things well, because you need being, the crypto yeah. to complete the deal. And I don't think people understand that crypto is like the, the carrot to yeah. the miner. Um, yeah. yeah well, the, the only way the blockchain works is to have a digital currency on it. Yeah. Um, but the point is that it's not about the crypto. It's about yeah. the chain. And exactly. at the peak yeah. of crypto, it was people were like, I just want to get into the great, latest and greatest new coin. And they yeah. paid no attention to yeah, whether or not the blockchain was relevant. Yeah, right. yeah it was, it's, 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 it's a speculation. speculation. Rampant, yeah, I, I could have I could have started the Shana coin and exactly. probably raised a ton of money and had no, yeah. no technology behind it. Yeah. And also no regulatory oversight. Exactly. You know, that's the other thing too, right? I mean, and that's changing. And I know you had Mooch on and I'm sure he talked about it. Um, yeah. I had the opportunity to, uh, to speak with Anthony um, mm -hmm. at a conference that he was a keynote for afterwards. I, I kind of like cornered him and was like, I have questions. <laughs> and I was asking him about it. And he was like, you know, everybody's talking about regulation as a bad thing. He's like, I think this is the year that we finally get like solid regulation in this space. And that's a good thing. That'll be good for mm -hmm. everything going forward. And I, I think he's mm -hmm. totally right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. all. And I'm not, you know, Mooch would know way better than me. I'm just a little nervous with, um, I don't know, some of the people maybe that are helping, you know, make some of these uh, regulations. Yeah, decisions. I, w I was just, I was just seeing today, um, and I guess we could talk about like this FTX situation. It seems like the story is getting like juicier and juicier every day. My uh, favorite part of the story, by the way, is do you remember on the first podcast I gave you shit for being a Jets fan? Yeah, which I was <laughs> going to bring up, which I was going to bring up again today. And we but... had a whole conversation about Tom Brady. The yeah, best oh. part of the FTX story is Tom Brady and Giselle are a massive investor in FTX. I know. I know. That's like, a... To say Tom Brady has had a bad year is the <laughs> understatement of a century. No, I... Like his team sucks. <laughs> he is finally like becoming old. His wife left him like because let's be yeah. honest, she left him. He did not like that yeah. was not his idea. She just got sick of the fact that like he put football before football, the family. Football, football, um, yeah. And then he made an investment in like a company that completely imploded. And now he's like the poster child for like every meme for FTX. So oh, like man. you want to talk about a yet bad year. I thought I had a bad year. Now, granted, I don't have millions of dollars. And I don't have a 10-year contract with Fox. However, yeah. he's not having a great year either. So at least I'm in it good can't, It can't feel good. You know, it's 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 going to be crazy for me to, to say this, Shana, because I, like, I don't want to even call him an underdog. But like he's kind of like, you know, he's in an underdog type of situation now. He's, but uh, he's and, always kind of been an underdog, at least in his own mind. In his own he's mind, always right. always been underestimated. I'm kind, of rooting, I'm kind of rooting for him to like come out of this, to be honest. Uh, you know, yeah, other see, Jets I'm fans. rooting for Giselle. 
<laughs> I like I like I like them maybe, maybe it's because I can relate to Giselle on some level. Oh, maybe maybe maybe. Um, I just I like rooting for the underdog, but yeah, I, I think like that whole like the Tom Brady aspect of it. Um, the you know the I guess the the bickering he has gone on with CZ from Binance, and then I saw even like a couple hours before we even got on. Um, a His Congress tweet? a congressman. I did tweet? I did I see I saw I saw the tweet. Uh, but I saw a, con- a congressman, I believe, from Minnesota, is is alleging that um, what's it, I forget his name. Uh, Gary Gary Gensler. Yeah, well, Gary Gensler um, and the guy from FTX. I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, where uh, Gary Gensler was helping him get through some like loopholes and regulation um, and stuff of that nature. So I'm, I I don't know. This just seems like there's a lot going on that we don't know about yet. This is going to be the pets.com of oh, like we've totally. had quite a bit, but this is going to end up being like the one. If you've watched yep. any documentaries lately, a lot of like the GameStop documentaries start by talking about like the tech bubble bursting mm-hmm. um, and like that whole experience. But there is actually I can't remember if it was on Netflix or Hulu, but somebody did a documentary on like the tech like and it's entirely about pets.com. And, and when you think about all the companies that failed during the tech bubble bursting, and there were thousands, like that one is the one that like, now 20 years later, we still kind of mock, I feel like FTX, I thought Coinbase was going to be that company, but no, it's going to be FTX. Mm-hmm. No doubt in my mind, FTX is it. It's insane. Well, I mean, I, I guess this, I, I've been thinking this is probably good in the long term, right? Kind of clear out these bad actors just wash mm-hmm. away all the garbage like you were mentioning with the tech like the the comparison to like the tech bubble um and it could be 10 years before we see like this space recover because that's how long it took if anybody remembers microsoft was like the world's worst amazon microsoft were not good stocks for a really long time mm-hmm. like if you invested in amazon in like 2002 you made no money until probably 2011 2012 after the um bubble burst and like then we had you know um growth stocks started to really do well because of the macro environment but you literally made no money in any of those stocks in fact you probably lost money uh for 10 plus years i i I think that that is a likely outcome of Mm -hmm. this crypto space but it does not mean it is not a good stock it does not mean that it couldn't be a good investment or that it is the end of the entire industry i disagree this is exactly what happens in up-and-coming industries they get really speculative then they completely implode all the bad actors all the speculation gets removed from the system then they take the time the ones that survive take that five ten years to really dial in their business model Mm -hmm. and then they are really they they take off again um and i think that's what's going to happen here yeah i really do i I love that human nature just like doesn't change you know everybody says this time is different yeah yeah everybody says (laughs) i love it It, it's you know i i think back like one uh was the south sea bubble like 1700s you know like uh, and it goes on the tulip the tulip uh um, yeah tulip mania tulip mania you know uh, you know the junk bond crisis in the eight oh, like geez. there's one yeah. uh, like 
It's always something. And it's funny because I remember arguing with people about, they used to say that like the tech company valuations, they're all going to implode because, um, you know, this is just like the tech bubble. And they were making the actual like connection directly with tech stocks. And I argued, no, no, these tech stocks actually have good fundamentals. These companies learn their lesson. Uh, the survivors have built good companies and they'll be fine. They really will. This is not 99 tech bubble bursting 2.0. But the correlation, the connection, if you looked at the activity, was more in the crypto market than it was tech. And people were trying to equate the two as the same, and they're not. Mm -hmm. And then if you tried to say that, like they kept saying, well, you know, tech companies are really expensive. This is just like the 90s with tech. Everything's going to blow up. And I and, and then if you argued that, no, it was crypto and some of like the meme stocks, they'd be like, no, this time's different. This is different. That Those companies, you know, that that's... But that's where the speculation was. And so when you see mass speculation and there's no real fundamentals behind any of it yeah. um, and you see bad actors and you see things like people just jumping on to jump on. That is where the similarity was. It wasn't the tech stocks. Right. Yes, they've struggled, but they're not like getting murdered uh, like they did in the 90s. But you and you're not seeing the industry implode. You are seeing that in crypto and blockchain. Right. Um, and that is, that's the connection. And so, um, I th what's the line? It's like, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. It rhymes. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you have to think about. Like, exactly. it's never exactly the same. And it's probably like the housing stuff right now is another example. Everybody's like the home builders, whatever. Home builders haven't built anything since the financial crisis. They're fine. Like maybe they won't be able to sell houses, but they haven't exactly, it's not like they are building them and then having to sell them at like fire sales they just didn't build which is part of the reason we have an inventory problem because none of them wanted to take any risk to build inventory unless they had a buyer for it mm -hmm. so like they were actually really smart so they'll be fine like the housing market has issues completely and it's probably going to freeze up but it's not going to implode like the financial crisis because there's no excess in it and that's the thing it's the excess it's the speculation you had that in housing in the financial crisis you had that in tech in the 90s you had that in crypto you didn't necessarily have it in tech companies per se um so like it rhymes but it's not repeating it's just everybody wants to equate it exactly to what happened in the past without looking at how it's different yeah you know i it's funny like us you know we have we have our trading room and we have like just like a cryptocurrency channel and like everyone just like you know i'm seeing everyone like not in our room, but like social media and stuff are like freaking out and stuff. And we're like, wow, like we're going to just be able to keep accumulating more of the bags over like of the projects we like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of like when there's like chaos yeah. go going on because it's, you know, all right, now I can start increasing my position over time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's the, the, the difficulty here is figuring out um, like what is who's going to survive right and what's what's the project there's some yeah. things that are ob obvious like to me ethereum is no-brainer survivor mm -hmm. because it's it's involved in so much of like the basis for most blockchain applications um but i could argue everything else is up for grabs so you have to think about to your point everything as they say babies uh, being thrown out with the bathwater like everything's getting killed yeah some of the stuff that's getting killed 
is actually a really good investment and now is the time to buy. Yeah. Um, but you got to figure out which ones of those things are. Yep. 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 And I'll, and I'll ask you, um, well, I'll, I'll say this too. What, what, why, what I really like too, is like, I see people like yourself, uh, Tyrone Ross, mm-hmm. uh, we had on the CEO of the Algorand foundation, Stacy Warden institutional background, um, Scaramucci, Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing people who have, they call TradFi, right? Traditional finance experience coming over to this space. And it's like, you know, the, 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 the bright minds are like seeing, you know what I mean? Like this is, right. this is, this is where it's going. Um, me personally, I like, uh, cause you say Ethereum, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying. You know, the problem people say with Ethereum is the, the transaction fees, right? The gas fees. Mm-hmm. That's why I like, uh, Polygon. So it's like a layer two. Yep. Yeah, you're are f- familiar with it. They they've done a lot of good. Um, seems like they got a good b- a business development team as well. A lot of good partnerships, and I think like if yeah, if it's going to be scalable, like the fees are going to have to come down. That's that's me personally. What maybe what are some of the projects you like? Um, well, Ethereum is definitely top of the list. I have followed Polygon a little bit, but there's like four or five cryptocurrencies out there which actually have really good practical applications, like mm-hmm. Polygon, Solana which obviously is having issues right now. Polkadot is another one mm-hmm. uh, that I don't think anybody ever talks about, but that actually has really good tech behind it, mm-hmm. blockchain technology. You know, Bitcoin for me is kind of the wild card because I actually was talking to Anthony Scaramucci about Bitcoin because I was like, well, because he was talking about how he thought in the next year we would actually see a spot Bitcoin ETF. And yeah. I sat on a panel last fall with Phil Bach, who I mentioned, and Eric Balkunas from Bloomberg at the training show Chicago. And uh, when we went in, we had absolutely no topic in mind, but we noticed that pretty much everybody at the event was doing blockchain crypto. So we were like, all right, well, Eric's kind of in this mix. Phil knows the world. I know the world. Let's talk about the probabilities of spot ETFs. And one of the points Eric brought up, which I thought was really important and even more relevant today is one of the biggest problems with the spot ETF is market cap, right? So everybody's like, well, Bitcoin has a big market cap. I'm like, but in the, re- when you think about it relative to like what you need to be able to manage liquidity on an ETF at a spot level, mm-hmm. it's not enough. Like mm-hmm. um, if people start running into a spot ETF, it is going to affect price. Very in a so. manner that's substantial because it just doesn't have enough liquidity and market cap to be able to sustain that kind of growth. And especially because they are um, limited. Remember, like the whole premise of Bitcoin is that there's only so much of it. Yeah, finite. Um, yeah. And so if yeah. you have um, if you have a spot ETF that increases demand and you don't have, you know, um, elasticity of supply at all at all. And so Anthony suggested that you could actually start to like split shares of bloom of, of Bitcoin. The problem is, um, so like, you're not changing the overall, you're not issuing more Bitcoin, but you're splitting the Bitcoin into smaller pieces. Um, which is actually the solution. The problem is in order for that to happen, everybody, on the chain has to agree and would they um so this whole premise of bitcoin having limited supply as the selling point that is 
been for Bitcoin this whole time is actually the thing that I think could potentially result in its death. Mm. Hmm. Uh, unless they realize that and start to think about ways in which to solve for it, that doesn't kill that premise. Um, but that's why I, I say Bitcoin's a wild card, because in order for Bitcoin to really gain, like obviously adoption of the chain is part of it, but adoption of the chain requires to have elasticity of supply of the, the currency. And how do you do that in a way uh, that doesn't take away from what the value of, crypt, of Bitcoin is? I don't know if it's possible. And that's one of the reasons why having a Bitcoin spot ETF sounds good in theory. But then when you think about it's like a small cap stock, right? You start having a lot of people run into small caps. It just pushes the price up. And all of a sudden market behavior mm -hmm. and individual behavior starts to drive the price and not fundamentals. Exactly. And so that would happen if we had a spot Bitcoin ETF. The reason Ethereum doesn't have a spot ETF is because it doesn't have enough market cap mm -hmm. in order to support mm -hmm. a spot. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it could because it does not have the same limitation. Um, so it probably is more flexible from that perspective, but like these are things you need to consider. Um, and that's the only thing that kind of gives me pause with Bitcoin. Now I know Anthony Scaramucci, you know, he certainly made a compelling argument to me that there is a solution here. Um, I just question if there's enough of the folks on the chain that would agree to it. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way that that would happen is if it was life or death. And if you get to the point where it's life or death, is it already too late? It's, an, it's not a good thing. Yeah, right. right. Interesting. Yeah, uh, Mooch, he's, he's funny, man. We had we had a fun time with him. I love him. He, I love him. Anyone who's ever seen him talk, the man self-deprecating humor and the fact that like he knows all of the things that you're going to dig on him for, like all of the things that you will use as you troll him and insult that's what him. I love. Yeah. But what he does is he gets in front of it. Yeah, I love um, it. And that's that makes he's so endearing. And he's also for somebody as successful and as well known as he is, he's incredibly kind with yes. his time. He's incredibly open to discussions. He, I, I I personally know people in this business who he has helped you know, get up and running and help them grow their businesses. Um, and so political politics or not, like it's hard not to like him as a yeah. person. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I even remember, you know, he he's coming on the podcast with us and I'm like, you know, I'm just like looking up like the, the interviews and stuff he's done. And he, um, you know, he obviously he got a lot of flack for that whole situation, uh, the white house, you know, yeah. um, and, um, but the interviews, man, he handled them so well with the people who are even coming at him, attacking him. And I'm like, man, this guy, he he just knows how to navigate. You know, he knows he how does. to maneuver. And like you said, he can get out in front of it. He already knows what you're going to say. Yeah. So he he takes a shot in himself. And so then yeah. then you taking the shot is like it kind of takes yeah. all the, the fun out of it. Like um, I remember I went I used to always attend the salt conference. And, and mm -hmm. to me that, by the way, that's the best investment conference in the industry hands down. And mm -hmm. they need to move it back to Vegas because the reason I haven't gone the last two years is because it's been in New York and it's too expensive. Um, and some of some of what made salt as awesome as it was, was the fact it was in Vegas. So he mm -hmm. needs to move it back to Vegas. So Mooch, if you're listening, bring salt back to Vegas um, and I'll start going in. But I digress. 
So the last <laughs> time I went journey. So on the Thursday night of salt, they always have a major music um, industry band or uh, person uh, perform mm -hmm. and like a very small venue. So like one year I went, it was Maroon 5. Um, but the last time I went, it was Journey. Wow. <laughs> and so Anthony gets up on stage to introduce Journey. And he says like one of the best parts of being the head of Skybridge and running this conference is I get to um, basically um, invite my favorite bands. And this <laughs> is completely about who I wanted to see like so like when people were being like oh you only had journey because you wanted to see journey like he just yep. he, yeah. he knew that was coming so he just like <laughs> put it out there and was like and I I actually find that I do that a lot about myself and it, it does take away the power of your haters if you already it's like I already know this yeah right. like you're not you're not telling me anything new you're not hurting me like yeah. I, I know yeah. this yeah right. And that's, yeah. that's one of, that's part of his charm, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he was so funny on our podcast. He was just riffing. He's telling his yeah. stories, how he, what was that one story? He uncle, told us uncle, uncle yeah. Vito in the motorcycle, yeah, yeah. you know, what he, what he sends him to Harlem to, to go sell this motorcycle. And, oh, it's just crazy. You know, yeah. Wild story. Take the dog, take the dog. You might get attacked. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Take the dog. Take the dog. Yeah, of course. And the thick, the thick New York accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, while, while we're kind of on like like mooch and like media appearances, uh, Shana, do you have any notable media appearance you know that stands out in your mind? Maybe like a funny instance, or just maybe something happening. Uh, I will say that one of the more memorable media appearances I've ever done. Um, I did a Cavuto appearance probably about a year ago and you know, the a Cavuto on Fox business, um, the pros and the cons of being in the media is you kind of have to know the show and their audience and kind of how they play things. Um, but you gotta be prepared for anything and your ability to pivot is like really important, right? Mm -hmm. sure. uh, to be successful in media, you have to have like immense amounts of ability to uh, deflect. So one of the things I, I, I pride myself on is I try not to wade too far into the politics when I speak. Like I will call out politicians and speak about politics in the context of the markets. Like this person's an idiot because of X, Y, Z. Or, you know, I remember being on a show once where they were like totally going after the Democrats. And I was like, well, the Republicans do the same thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of independent moderate conservative type but i'm like a massachusetts conservative which isn't like a normal conservative um if you've ever met like i believe they refer to charlie baker and scott brown as rhinos but like those are the types of people that like i am sort of on that political spectrum mm -hmm. um and so um i but i, I try not to go there because you know po politics is really like dividing these days and it can really implement uh, affect your business because you don't know where your clients stand and you you want to provide nothing, like, good. nothing good comes from it it's nothing nothing so good. I, I try not to go there so anyways uh i did a cavuto appearance once and um i was the only person on and i was supposed to talk about inflation it was like a year ago and uh it comes on and this was right when that general wrote that book about the trump administration and they were like talking about like you know court marshals and blah 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 and so like, I'm supposed to come on and talk about inflation and he 
blindsides me, but asking me like my opinion on like this kernel. And I'm like, like, do I have to go there? <laughs> um, and and I was able to like completely deflect it. So that one stands out in my mind. Another one that stands out in my mind from a million years ago, and I'm not going to mention the person because why embarrass him when he's like 80 now? Uh, but I used to do a show on uh, the New England uh, News Network. Is that what? Uh, New England, NEC, uh, New England Cable News Network. Mm-hmm. Um, and the host of the show blatantly hit on me every time I was on. Every time. Like, uh, like on air or? Uh, both. Okay. It was a little more subtle on air, but off air. Yeah, off air. <laughs> and I remember he had like finally, he had like after turning him down for dinner, like the eighth time, I he like stopped booking me for the show. Um, but the last, the last time I was on the show, I was on with this guy who I occasionally see on TV now. I can't remember his name, but he was total jackass. Um, and it was during the financial crisis. And this guy was such a jerk to me the entire time, the entire time I was on. And, um, condescending treating me like I was dumb treat me like that in the uh, green room treat me like that when I was on air and one of the last questions they asked was like what do you think the direction of the market where do we think the market will be six months from now it's like January 2009 and I was like I think the markets will have completely recovered and we'll be like the recession will have ended and he was like I think we'll be worse off and then like totally mocked me and one of the cool things about being on tv is you can say I told you so without saying I told you so <laughs> by yeah. just reposting. Yeah. I love, that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I do it all the time where I don't say, well, I let, I let the comments, people will watch it and be like, wow, you were so spot on. And I'm like, I know <laughs> I was a jerk. He looks like an idiot. I'm going to put that on display. So it's, I love when it comes to media, the fact that, well, there's a, you know, obviously the opposite's true too. Um, but I, I, I have been right more times than I've been wrong on these things. So I love the ability to say, I told you so without saying, I told you so. Um, and having like, having that smugness, especially when people are jerks to you. And in this particular case, I love that episode. I still have it because the guy was such a jackass and he was so wrong and I was so right. And like, you know, if I ever find him on Twitter, maybe I'll tag him next time I repost it to remind him <laughs> that I was right and he was wrong without actually saying it. Mm-hmm. Are, are are most of most of the people that you deal with though, like media wise, are they more or less like cordial? It's oh my god, um, the folks. Uh, I, I I'm always on with Heidi, um, um, and Cheryl on Bloomberg and. They, like, they're the nicest women in the world. Mm-hmm. Charles Payne is legitimately one of the nicest, greatest human beings on the face of the earth. Tell him to come on our podcast. You know what? Okay. And tell him that he's met me in 1995 in the Waldorf Astoria. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I have been on, on set with him and obviously been on his show. Um, I love that he really does follow my Twitter. And like when he sees something notable, he'll find a way to get it into the show. Like when I was in the fab under uh fab over 40 contest last year he like totally promoted it for me on air he let me uh wish my mom a happy birthday he's promoted my podcast i don't ask him to do any of it that's awesome um but when he likes you he he like really does try to help you and i love that about him he's 
probably my favorite person in the media that I've dealt with. But I generally speaking, and, um, Nicole Petalides and Oliver Rennick uh, from TD Ameritrade, like Oliver's become a friend. He lives in Chicago. And um, Nicole always says to me, like, next time you're on the stock exchange floor, if you don't come and do an interview with me, I'm going to be mad. Um, you develop these friendships with a lot of them, especially when you're on all the time. And they're, they're just, they're such nice people. Um, and they're so cordial. Um, and I've, I've had so few negative experiences. More times than not, my negative experience has never been with the host. It's always been with another guest. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. If, if, if you get the chance, put in a good word to us for pain, because I think we've tried to get him a couple of times. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened. He's but... awesome. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about Charles. I, 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 I love, man, it, it was, oh, it was whenever that, um, I don't know if it was during the GameStop AMC period yeah. was going on, but I was enjoying, weren't him and uh, Brian Portnoy of, um, Mm-hmm. Or a little sports guy. Him, they were going like back oh, and forth. Oh yeah, with each other. yeah. Um, not uh, not Brian Portnoy. Um, um, Dave. 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 Dave, is it Dave? Portnoy. There's yeah, a Brian Portnoy who is I, in Fentwit. Uh, yeah, a I get them confused. That's yeah. not him. David Portnoy. Yes, and his interview where they like actually like got into a fight. Which <laughs> <was> awesome. <laughs> um, that's but that's part of Charles's charm is like. Oh, he funny. he actually embraces a lot of that. Like he has crypto influencers on his show that would never be on anybody else's show. Like Investiva yeah. is a great example. And um, Miss Teen Crypto, who I personally love because anything that gets young people, especially young women, excited uh, and passionate about investing mm-hmm. is something I love. And she's awesome. Miss Teen Crypto. He's had on her show. He's had um, a lot of people in that space on his show. And he's one of the few that will do that. But I think he understands his audience probably better than anyone. And Mm -hmm. he understands that like mocking that group is not going to help anybody, but like embracing them and highlighting them. And then also calling people out who are influencing them. Yeah. like David Bortnoy is is critical um and I love that about him he's a good yeah. dude yeah that's really awesome um all right let's see what else uh, JJ what uh what else do you got you got any other questions I think we we're like through. going on hour two here at this yeah. point yeah no it's yeah. been it's been a great discussion I it's no, starting it's... off with you know kind of like more like life stuff then we got into some market stuff yeah. um let me see here I, I guess for me, um, yeah, I guess that's about it. I mean, when is, uh, is Shanna, when is Mac Jones going to get benched for Zappy? I don't know. I like him not on the Zappy train, but I, and I actually feel bad for Mac. Yeah. Because I actually think he's a good quarterback. Um, and everybody jumped on the Zappy wagon after like two games. I don't know if Zappy's that much better. I wonder if Zappy is like a Matt Flynn. Remember Matt Flynn? Yeah. I remember. Remember Matt he Flynn. like came in and filled in for Aaron uh Rogers for like a year after Aaron broke his collarbone and just killed it. You see you see these guys do this, right? It's a sample right. size it's a sample size issue. Like we gotta see more, you know. It's uh... Yeah, and then the more you see them, people figure them out and they're really not that good. I wonder if Zappy falls into that category, quite frankly. I would if if we were betting on it, I would say yeah, just because yeah. his. I actually think Mac him. Jones has all the skill set to be like a good long term quarterback, and I think Zappy mm-hmm. is sort of like he's exciting, but I don't know if it's sustainable. 
Um, and so I wonder if he's like a Matt Flynn, uh, that, or like, a um, what's his name? Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. kind of. I mean, that would probably be a good outcome if he turned out to be Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I mean, Fitzpatrick is the great, uh, the, the guy every team goes to when they like need a quarterback short term and he, he does fine. Like he's not going to like win you in two roles, but he'll keep you in your games. He's not going to be the reason you lose things. Yeah. So I wonder if he ends up like that. It'll be interesting. I think Belichick is is committed to Mac Jones though, because I think Belichick sees that Mac Jones is is I mean, is more of a long term play. But we'll have to see. I, I I like Mac. I like Zappy. I just think Zappy's a little flash in the pan. I think we saw a little bit of that in the Bears game. Yeah. Where the Bears would... finally figured him out and he did absolutely nothing. Yeah, I would I, I... And the Bears aren't very good. So, like, if the Bears were able to shut him down after seeing him for, like, a quarter and a half, uh, I don't know what kind of future that is. And I was I was I was so upset because, you know, I you know, I watched that game. That was a Monday night game. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, because the next week you guys played us, the Jets. And we kicked your ass and you kicked our ass. And I'm like, yo, what what the fuck is going on here? Like, I, I, I thought we had a solid team. This Patriots team is infuriating to me. Like that Green Bay loss also pissed me off. Right. But then we We go and beat the Bills. But then we we just beat the Bills. Yeah. That's the uh, same. Maybe Iowa football feels like has kind of trained me that way too. Iowa plays to their, um, most of the time, this year is like an anomaly. But most of the time, Iowa just plays to their competition. So like they'll go in and like play tough against, I remember the year they blew out Michigan like 69 to 11. Mm-hmm. It was 2018, I think. And then the next week, Purdue was like one in seven and Purdue kicked their ass. And I'm like, what are you? I, I feel like this Patriots team is a little like that. Um, they, they don't really know who they are yet, but they have some talent. And uh, if they can, you know, stop playing musical quarterbacks, they probably have a chance to do okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Belichick, if there's anything Belichick knows, and man, he he he's just so good, like defensive minded. He just knows how to like really take an offense out of mm-hmm. their rhythm, out of their game. And I've just I've always like just uh just his strategic mind in that aspect. I've always just really like respected. A lot of people will tell you that like since Tom Brady left, it's shown that Belichick's not that good a coach. I argue the opposite. Like Belichick mm-hmm. has had horrible teams with no talent since then, and somehow they've still managed to be above five hundred at the end of the day. Yeah, I think if there is a criticism of Belichick, it's uh, he's not willing to go out and get real talent. Yeah, the ta- getting the talent. Yeah, be thinking like yeah, okay, I a hundred percent agree with you. We can get by on penny pinching. Yes, uh, which is why since Tom Brady, they've been you know two or three games above five hundred and gotten and not really gone anywhere, and nobody's really thinking about them for the Super Bowl because he because he's so good at getting the most out of mediocre talent he doesn't bother to go out and get real talent and if he actually went out and got real talent he's like imagine what he could do because he can make mediocre talent you know above 500 when they have no business being above 500 yeah yeah it's been it's it's been interesting football season though this year for sure yeah my fantasy team hates me right now i was doing so good in the last couple of weeks josh allen has just not helped me yeah I think he'll turn it. He'll turn it around. I think. Well, I I really need to know if he's going to play this week because my backup's Derek Carr, and they're playing Indy, and Carr could actually put up some numbers against Indy, mm-hmm. but he also hasn't done anything all year. 
So like your boy McDaniels, wanna... your boy Josh McDaniels is over there. I think he. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, we need I... McDaniels back in the Patriots doing the offense. Like... Yeah, he just probably's got to stick there. I, I don't know. That's that's crazy. Um. Yeah, I think I, I think that's I think that's about it. I think we'll um that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the podcast. Please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join a professional and supportive community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Uh, Shanna, um, let the viewers know, the listeners know where they can find you and anything else you want them to know. Sure. My handle on Twitter is just ShanaS621. I still want to change it to Queen of Alts, but I can't because I've had the same handle for like 12 years and like nobody will know where to find me. Cynthia Murphy gave me that name and I want to milk it for all it's worth, mm. but I can't change it now. So now I have a, I have a boring handle folks. That's my handle on Instagram. <laughs> you can find me at finance underscore queen 2020 and um, yeah, LinkedIn, all those places I'm everywhere. And so uh, connect, love to hear from you. Any feedback, if you want to do some business, let me know. Excellent. JJ parting words. Thank you so much for being with us. Always great to have you. And uh you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of our folks are going to be inspired by you, by your comeback and uh, in the future as well. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, working on the comeback. Not quite there yet. Let's hope That's it... all right. That's okay. You know, sometimes it's the journey. Yeah, yeah. it's always the journey, right? That's what yeah. they say anyways. Yeah, they say, what's well, the, uh, the obstacle is the way. Yes. Like that. Oh, I do. I did remember something I wanted to, I wanted to say when we, when you were, um, we were discussing the, uh, the balance between work um spending time with the kid there was somebody told me something and it still stuck to me this day because you know these this is something i thought about a lot and even when uh, me and my son's mother split up it, it really it was really like hurting me that i i'm seeing him half the time i don't get to see him every day you know mm-hmm. and the person told me that it's not the quantity of time it's the quality yep. of the time that matters and that that's always stuck with me and i think that's yeah i think that's that's very true in itself it absolutely is. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So for the queen of alts, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop so.